Welcome to today's BCOG online podcast episode. These weekly sermons are a part of the growing online ministry of God. Buford Church of God is a growing multi-campus and multicultural Pentecostal church north of Atlanta. We are reaching people around the world to see lives transformed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in with us and enjoy today's episode with Senior Pastor Joey Grizzle. Please remain standing with me. Second Kings chapter 13. Reading of this story of Elisha and the king of Israel starting with verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrow. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you have destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria Only three times. Then Elisha died and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. And so it was as they were burying a man that suddenly there spied a band of raiders. And and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived. Stood on his feet. Say amen at the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This is an incredible story. It is a resume for Elisha, the last words of Elisha, one of the greatest prophets in Israel. And God is trying to communicate through his word both the vocation and the importance of the man who occupied it by listing some of his greatest miracles and prophecies right here in the last words. And God also wanted you to see just how powerful Elisha was so that even when he was dead... The anointing that had been on his life was still residing on the bones of Elisha. And when this man was lowered down into the tomb, he touched the bones of Elisha and immediately stood up, revived, and with life back in his body. Now, you don't know this. This is for the church nerds that are here who just enjoy reading the Bible and studying theology. I know this isn't for everybody. Give me a few minutes just to geek out on this, if you don't mind. But this is referenced in the book of Matthew. When talking about Jesus and his death. This miracle of Elisha was such a big deal that his bones caused a resurrection. Matthew was also having this reminiscent in his mind when he described the death of Christ. And it said that when Jesus died, said it is finished, the veil in the temple was torn And then people on the hillsides of Jerusalem started rising from the dead. Walking around in the city. The point is, Elisha, when dead, could raise a man to life. But Jesus, when dead, caused the whole graveyard to come back to life. 
You can tell the integrity of people when they face death. Elisha's facing death in this story. There's a tragedy of his life where he had a sickness unto death. Let this be a lesson to those of you who believe that being Pentecostal or serving God will somehow give you a free pass from pain. I'm a witness. Keep on living. Eventually, you're going to face a storm. You're going to be sick in your body. You're going to face death. You're going to have troubles and trials in this life. And facing death will expose the truth of your character on the inside. I don't know how many of you like to study sociology or psychology, but they've had to recently invert a psychological theory that they held to be true. It's a phrase that we have studied at times. I'm sure some of you have heard it. It's called death anxiety. They study sociological groups of people and they determine their death anxiety based upon their behavior and how much they reference their living by their day of eventual dying. And the conclusion was that Christians and religious people are more anxious about death. That we are so fixated on the fear of death that we have a tendency to live our lives in anxiety. And so we have religion to compensate for this fear that plagues our weak psychological minds. And that Christianity is simply a psychological crutch for weak people to lean on. But those who are not religious are more psychologically strong. They don't need to deal with death anxiety because they have little of it. They're not afraid and so they don't have to converse about it. And their death anxiety is very low. Well, COVID comes along. And they had to change their theory. Because they found that all over the world, Christians were the least fearful. It does not mean that we were not cautious. It just means we've already wrestled with that question a long time ago, and we say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's not going to adjust me one inch what the devil does on the outside because I have somebody on the inside, and greater is he that is in me than he that is of the world. They found that people without faith went COVID stupid. Started having psychological collapses, emotional turmoil, difficulties in their families and in their minds. The church got stronger. Christians got deeper. They called on God's name. We did what we had to do. We're not ignoring Caution, you can be cautious and courageous at the same time. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So even when you face death, you square your shoulders like a child of God, knowing that one day the dead in Christ will rise and those that are alive and remain shall be called up to meet him in the air, that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us in the sweet by and by somebody give me a witness that the God of the mountain is still God in the valley that the God of the good times is still God in the bad times and Elisha even when facing death 
could sit on his deathbed and prophesy to a king. Unmoved by his circumstances. It is a great story of courage and faith. This king comes in, all the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Too late to put roses on somebody when they're dying. You need to appreciate the chariots and horsemen of Israel while he's preaching against the idol that you set up and your grandfather and your great-grandfather worshipped and you continue to worship. Too many people pay lip service to grandmama who prayed them out of hell saying in those funeral homes how much they admire the faith of their grandparents and yet going home and never exercising the faith that was handed down to them. Words are cheap if it doesn't become truth for your own lifestyle. Somebody help me talk about it. It is a shame to watch so many young Pentecostal preachers who go to their father's churches, their mother's churches, and they stand up behind the pulpit and they talk about the chariots and the horsemen of the Pentecostal movement while they hand out coffee so that people can't worship and sing secular songs so that they don't have the moving of the Spirit. They don't have altar calls. They don't preach against sin. And I thought to myself, you're like the king of Israel walking into the death chamber of Elisha, paying flattery to a dying prophet, Simply to make yourself feel better about your own circumstances. At the Buford Church of God, we don't just talk like grandmama talked. We don't just simply say they were good. The same faith that we received years ago is the same faith you're going to get on this Sunday morning. We didn't stop casting out devils. We didn't stop laying hands on the sick. We didn't stop asking God to move mountains by faith. We still believe that if it's written in the Word of God, it can still happen in your life life we want God's power to be revealed in your soul not going to move from it church pastor I really feel like if we would kind of be a little less Pentecostal maybe more people would show up we're already in three services I think the world is hungry for a move of the spirit I think the world is starving for somebody to tell them the good news that God's not dead. I believe that there needs to be somebody who can still go to the upper room of God's outpouring and receive the fires of Pentecost and leave that place empowered to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody help me talk about it. I was listening to preachers talk. What we need is a friendly church. They need to be friendly and smile. And that's true. But you can be friendly and still go to hell. What we need is an anointed church. You know how they say they'll make up their mind within X number of minutes. And so you want to make sure you smile at them. And we do. We try and smile. We, we hide all of our more grouchy individuals in closets. We only release them right when church starts. And And so we smile and we do the best we can. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm going to tell you what we pray for here. We pray that while you're driving by, that the Holy Ghost get on you. We ask God to meet you in the parking lot so that by the time you walk through the door, there's a difference. 
difference in your life because you feel the presence and power of God in this place. It's not the horsemen or the chariots. Some trust in horses. Others trust in chariots. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God because it's not by might nor by power but by his spirit, says the Lord. Somebody give him praise in this place today. Hallelujah. The chariots and the horsemen of Israel. I'll tell you what was going on. He realized that the real protector of the nation was about to die. Elisha had single-handedly kept the Syrian army at bay with miraculous and divine intervention on God's part in his life. The king comes in. He's a young king. He's looking at this dying prophet and he, he realizes that the very thing he had been rebelling against is the very thing that was giving him the ability to rebel. He wouldn't even have a nation to have a kingship had it not been for the prayer that preceded him. Kind of like all these people that hate cops until they dial 911. Somebody help me talk about it. Yeah. People who want to say the Christian church is the problem with America. Let me tell you something. If it weren't for Christianity, there would be no America. If it weren't for the gospel of Jesus Christ, women, listen to me. If it weren't for Christianity, you would just be property. Jesus liberated you. Jesus is the one that said, don't trouble the woman. She's done something good. Wherever you preach about me, make sure you tell them about this woman. It was Jesus who revealed the resurrection to a woman. It is the gospel that sets the captive free. It's the gospel that brings good and light to the rest of the world. I don't think it's time for us to remain silent simply because they accuse us of what they are doing. It is the Christian faith that brought us. It's the Christian faith that keeps us. And it will be the Christian faith that takes us into tomorrow. One day the church will be gone. There will be a resurrection of the saints. A trumpet will sound and an angel will shout and the church will rise in the rapture. And on that day, you'll see what a world looks like without a church in it. We are that which restrains. The Bible says the Antichrist will not be revealed until that which restrains is removed and taken out of the way. Let me bind a spirit of fear over the church that says the whole world is serving the Antichrist. No, sir, we're still here, and we still have the anointing of God in our life. And as long as we're here, the church will be triumphant, and the power of God will reign supreme. I don't hang my head to what the devil is doing. I proclaim what God is doing because God is still in the house and he's still using his people to do great things in this world. The devil cannot rule until we are raptured. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let me get to my sermon. This prophet looks at that king and he says, take a bow and an arrow and aim towards Syria. That king was young. He had one opportunity to do the right thing. He was terrified about tomorrow. He needed the anointing. Let me tell those of you who have a dream, a position, a hope, an idea, 
a concept, a business, a family, a church, a ministry, a song, a sermon, something you want to do with your life because you recognize that each one of you has a calling. One day you're going to hear the voice of God that says, get the bow and get the arrow. It's time for you to shoot your shot. It's time for you to take the arrow of opportunity, notch it in the bow of your authority and your preparation, and release the arrow toward the devil that's trying to destroy your life. And I love the symbolism of what happens in this story. Elisha comes up beside him when he takes the bow. That little young king, nervous about tomorrow, he picks up the arrow and he's going to notch that arrow and he's going to let it fly in symbolic defeat of the Syrians. He's going to obey God. But before he releases the arrow, he feels the tender touch of the dying prophet who puts his hands on his hands. I remember when I was called to preach in the 8th grade, I was nervous, never spoken before, didn't know that I would even enjoy public speaking. I didn't even know if I would be good at it. I'd never tried it before, and I entered a speech contest, and I started winning that contest, and they sent me to a, a, a district meeting where I was going to compete again in Gainesville, and people from all over the community, people of, of wealth and means and, and influence in the community they were there to hear all of these students give their speeches because I was in first place I was to go last and there were six or seven of us and they let all of the other students go in and speak one at a time and then that student would stay in there and wait for the next and they would all listen to one another after they had given their speech so I was sitting at this table from an extended period of time they were introducing the speakers until it was just me Eighth grade, sitting at that little booth. I can still remember the building. I can still remember what it looked like, the little light that was above the table. I was there all by myself, and I looked up at the ceiling. I said, God, are you with me? Because if you're not going in there, I'm not going myself. I'll stay out here with you. Just let me know you're with me, and I can do this. God is my witness. When I put my hand on the bow, he put his hands on me. And I felt the divine touch of the master's hand who let me know that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil, for God is with me. He made me a promise that he would never leave me or forsake me, that if I ascend to the mountains, he is there. If I make my bed in hell, he is there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there he will find me and bring me home, my God. God is going to stay with me. Is there somebody here that can recall a time in your life when he put his hands on you? We used to sing the song. Maybe you've forgotten, but he touched me. Put his hands on me. And the glory of God filled my life. And if God is for you, who can be against you? But I have bad news for you. He'll give you the bow, he'll give you the arrows, and he'll put his hands on you. But it will still be your strength that pulls it back. And when you get up to that home plate of life, I love watching little t-ball games. I like watching those little tigers get out there with all that confidence. They'll get out there, they'll tee that thing up. 
They'll look at it. I like that little boy that gets up there and he swings so hard. He misses all of it and falls down. He swings so hard. That's exactly what I want you to see in this story. What God wants you to see is that you need to be that little t-ball player that lines up at the home plate of your opportunity. And when that ball comes across the plate, you swing with everything you have. And if you miss it, you fall down in the dirt. But you're not going to let that thing go by you without one opportunity to swing at it. You could put me out there in the major leagues right now. I couldn't hit that ball. I can't even see the ball. I don't even see it till they call the strike. And then I want to argue with the ump till they showed the little square and slow it down for me. I know I wouldn't be able to hit that ball. I'd be terrified they'd hit me with a ball. But call me right now and tell me they want me to come down to the stadium and take one swing for the Atlanta Braves. I'll go. And I'll guarantee you one thing. He can throw three balls over the top of my head, all three of them. I'm swinging at them. If I can just put a bat on it, I will walk around this church like I'm wider for six weeks. Somebody talk to me. Your problem is you get an opportunity and you don't even take it. You don't study, you don't practice, you don't stay up late, you don't pray, you don't fast, you don't do anything to get ready for it. You throw it aside, you act like it's cheap and easy. No, sir, God's looking for somebody who's not afraid to pull the bow back, notch the arrow and say, God, I may not know everything. I might not have my plan together, but that giant has defied me. That giant is destroying my family, and everybody may laugh at me on my way out. I might not have a sword. I might not have a spear. All I've got is a pocket full of rocks and a slingshot but I'm walking out on the battlefield and I'm going to fight for the kingdom of God because I'm tired of the devil in my family. I'm tired of the devil in my business. I'm tired of the devil in my community. If God be for me, who can be against me? It's my shot, my opportunity. It's my song, my sermon, my lesson, my business, my family. I am going to be what God called me to be. Taking my shot. Be what God called me to be. Pastor, I can. I'm a girl. No, no. Don't you tell me that the Bible says that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And I know there's a lot of people that say, well, I don't like daughters prophesying. That's because you're an intellectual bigot. You don't like the whole word of God, so you rip pages out of it. But the Bible said that the girls could walk under the power of the Holy Ghost just like the men can. Somebody talk to me. The Bible says it doesn't matter if you're old or you're young. Yet It says the old will dream and the young will see. doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, Hispanic, Central American. doesn't matter if you're from Africa, from Asia. Somebody talk to me. In a Pentecostal church, we don't care where you're from. We don't care what your background you have in this house not by might nor by power but by his spirit says the Lord hallelujah came in this house gonna shoot my shot now take those same arrows take those arrows and I want you to go beat the ground he went over there and tapped three times and quit a little seeker sensitive service Tap, tap, tap. Hey. You feeling good? That's the way God feels. So go home and be happy. Tap, tap, tap. Yeah. 
A little tap. Three. Three and quit. Do you get tired? Is it too hard on you? Burned out? I like what the great American theologian Herschel Walker said. Carried the ball like 30 times in one game. Put in an incredible day of work on the field. They came out and they said, Herschel, isn't it hard on you to carry that ball 30 plus times in a game? No, it ain't heavy. Just a little old ball to tuck it up under here. Run all over the place with it. No matter. So God, nah, it ain't heavy. Nah. You, you, you can pour some more on. We, we can carry it. I can handle it. I'm in the huddle. You, you tired of running? No, nah, no. Nah, give me that ball one more time. One more time. I got it. I got it. I can run it. You want me to catch it? I'll kick it. Matter of fact, I'll hike it to myself, throw it to myself, then kick my own way field goal. <laughs> Somebody talk to me. It ain't heavy. Jesus said it wasn't heavy. Jesus said, come unto me. All you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wouldn't put it on me. If he didn't think I could carry it, he wouldn't let me have it. If he didn't think I had the ability to run with it, if he hands me the ball, then he puts the anointing inside of me to run that ball. Don't you dare look at what's in front of you and say, I can't. No, sir, you rise up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It ain't heavy. I beat that ground till Jesus comes. Three times and you're out. Come on, grow up. Keep hitting the ground till you get a breakthrough. get tired on God oh pastor I've just had it tough it's so hard on me I wish you could go to a nation that has real problems and see what tough looks like riding around in your little air conditioning on your leather seats pushing your cruise control hanging out at your house going to eat whatever you want doing whatever you want acting like you all burned out because it's so hard in America grow up church God didn't call us to join the Girl Scouts and sell cookies. We're in an army of the living God. We've been through the boot camp of our own persecution. God has given us the anointing of God, and there's nothing in this world that can persuade me. I know my Redeemer lives. I may be hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed, perplexed, but I'm not in despair, persecuted, but I'm not forsaken, cast down, but I'm not destroyed. God is on my side. You know what I think he did? I think he just did not understand the importance of the moment. He underestimated the pop quiz of heaven. He had a test and he failed the test because he did not fully comprehend what it was God was trying to say to him. And I promise you there's a lot of people you get tested by God and you miss out on the opportunity for promotion because you just get burned out a little. You, you just don't keep after it long enough. You, you, you quit too quick. You, you don't realize that, that there's, there's something significant about this little moment in time.
So you just tap on the ground because you're, you're worried that it really don't matter anyways. You do that when you get old. No offense, old people. Some people get old when they turn 28. Some people are like Betty Kane, still driving too fast in the parking lot. Some people get old quick. Some people never get old. There's people in our church, if if God's going to take them, he's going to have to sneak up on them. (laughs) Old means that you don't have a tomorrow that keeps you up the night before in anticipation of the good things that are about to happen. That's why he says old men will dream. Because what the Holy Spirit does is he makes the young wise like old and he makes old dream like young. So that in the body of Christ there is no division of generation. It doesn't matter what song we sing in these church. You you watched them. Maybe you're visiting with us today. You saw it. They'll worship with this song. Then we'll do Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. They'll worship with that song. They don't care. Why? There's no age division in here. We don't have any keep out signs for no matter what age you are. We believe the anointing can use your life. Yeah, some people just, they they wake up and they stop hitting the ground. You get started in ministry and you're like, oh, I need the anointing. I need the power of God. I need the glory of God. I'm in college. I've got to find me a girl. Then you see the girl. You're like, I got to have that one. God, please, please, please. Get an opportunity to, to preach. You fast, you pray, you hope, you believe. Then after a while, you just get used to it. You get old. You don't have to go to church much. You don't have to go to the altar. You don't have to read. You don't have to praise. Why? Because your life doesn't need God. It's boring. You're old. God wants to make you young again. God doesn't need an old king tapping on the ground. He needs a young king swinging at a t-ball. I guarantee you, I could, I could get one of these little babies out of this kid's church down here, hand them some drumsticks, and say, beat them drums while I preach. I could put some of you polite adults up there. You just tap. Is this all right? I don't want to offend anybody. I'm all right. Put that little baby up there. Put a four-year-old on them drums. Say, beat that thing while I preach. Look what's going to happen. <laughs> Somebody go wild with the arrows. <laughs> I think he was worried about being conspicuous. You know, if you do weird stuff where weird stuff is supposed to happen, then it's not really weird stuff. It's only when you do weird stuff where weird stuff is not supposed to happen that it really becomes weird. Truthfully, if you go to the Georgia Bulldog game and you act like you're supposed to act when they score a touchdown, it's kind of weird. But when you're at the game, it's not that bad. However, if you do that on the elevator at the hospital, you will go to jail. You have to overcome being conspicuous. When you're in a quiet room with a dying prophet and he tells you to beat the ground and you're worried about him dying on you, you might be tempted to tap. But mark my word, 
Part of the reason that you and I go to a Pentecostal church is because we have realized that being here helps us overcome intimidation. Because if we can shout in here, then we'll have boldness out there. We believe that if we're not ashamed in here, then we'll have the anointing when we go out there. If I can overcome my intimidation while I'm in the house of God, I don't have to worry about the Syrians tomorrow because I won my battle on Sunday. I don't have to worry about what the devil's going to try on Thursday because the God of my faith has already lifted my hands in the sanctuary right now. How would you praise God if all of your prayers depended on the next three minutes of this church service? How how would you praise God if everything you've asked God for is right here in your hand called the arrows of your praise, the arrows of your opportunity, and God says just shout until the kingdom comes down in your life. How would you praise God if you actually trusted that tomorrow God's going to do great things among you? Would you make up your mind? You're just going to fold your hands and wait on it? Or would you rise up and say God is on my side? I'm Come on, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Me feeling intimidated and ashamed at this church disappeared when I got on that rooftop. And all the joggers and drivers and everybody walking by and sitting on their porch. And I decided the same God in here is going to be the same God out there. That if he can save in here, he can save out there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. If you want me to beat the ground, I'll beat it till Jesus comes. <laughs> let, me share, let me share something with you. But You can be seated for a moment. My dad, my dad was praying about Oakwood Church of God and we were concerned about Oakwood Church of God and how it was going to play out and, and, and it was hard to build that church. It was, a, it was a tough pull and my dad was praying about leaving the church and letting another pastor come in and we were going to come to the Buford Church of God. And I was going to grow up here and I wanted to move over here. And all these pretty girls at Buford Church of God, we didn't have any girls in our youth group over there. <laughs> And so I, I wanted to come over here and hang out and go on youth trips and Winterfest and do all that cool stuff that kids get to do when they go to big churches. So dad was actually considering resigning the church and, and moving the whole family to Buford. So he went back in the back bedroom to pray. He was praying forever. So we started watching TV. So we're in there watching TV just like those Hebrews were when Moses went on the mountain. <laughs> so dad comes into the living room. Has that bulldog look on his face. Looks at us, goes to the refrigerator, doesn't say anything. He finally stands there, we turn the TV off. What'd he say? Nothing. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to stay. Why are we going to? Well, how can you know what you're supposed to do if he didn't say anything? He said, the last thing he told me to do was come here. And until he tells me to stop, I'm not going to stop. 
I don't need another word from God to obey my last marching order. If God tells you to hit the ground with the arrows, then you beat the ground until God is fed up with it. Because if it's his authority that started it, it can be his authority that finishes it. But I'm not going to finish until God is finished. Seven. I want you to say seven. If I were his advisor, I'd say, look, you've read the Bible. Seven. Seven days of the creation story. They had to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice seven times. When they marched across the Jordan River, the Bible says take seven priests with seven ram's horns. March around the city seven days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. Then the seven priests with the seven trumpets of ram's horns lift up their head on the seventh time on the seventh day and shout for God has given you the city. Elisha himself looked at Naaman from Syria who had leprosy. He said go down to the Jordan River and dip in that river seven times and you will be healed. I love the way David said it or Solomon said it in Proverbs when he said, Though a righteous man fall seven times, he shall rise again and overcome that shame and destruction in his life. Seven. Hit the ground. Seven is the number of completion. Keep hitting till you're finished. Now, let me make this very plain and then we're going to, we're going to do something a little different today. I did this in the first service and it messed up everything. I told them I was going to, we had a little altar call and the whole room came to the altar. And I prayed and prayed and then they got out there and Manny had to start preaching a little bit and get the crowd warmed up for me. Second service and the second service went too long and I had to run in here. And so I, I, at the end of this service... If you want prayer, you're going to come down this altar and we'll lay hands on you seven times. And we're going to finish this in your life. We're going to finish this. Now, I want, I want you to hear this. Now, I want God to know, truthfully, I don't feel worthy to beat the ground seven times. I feel like that's for young people. Truthfully, the devil comes at you when the older you get, and he starts talking about how you, know, you need to look to this one and that one and realize the anointing is all around you and, and serve it. And You just kind of give up on beating the ground. You just start trying to help other people, I guess, beat the ground of their life. But after a while, you realize, you know what? Maybe I'm not all I want to be. Maybe I'm not all I could be, not all I should be. But thanks be unto God, I'm not what I used to be. I hit the ground. I'll take, I'll take my handful of arrows and, and I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish this moment with God. I'm not going to leave this until he blesses me. And God, I want you to know on behalf of Buford Church of God, you're the one that built this house. We know that you are the chariots and the horsemen of the Buford Church of God. That if it weren't for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have a church. But it was not by might nor by power, but by your spirit that this great church was born. So we give honor to those that came before us in the past. We know that we have a compassed about great cloud of witnesses who, who gives us a great witness that the power of God is evident even in this sanctuary today. We know we have received a great heritage. And I don't know how it works up there in heaven, but if you can give any of them 
a note or pass a little information along. Let them know that we have the arrow today on this good Sunday morning in this sanctuary and the Syrians are out there on the battlefield and they think they're going to destroy us. But I don't have to win the battle out there. I've just got to win the battle in here. I don't have to wait till I get out there to worry about what's going to happen in my life. All I have to do is win the battle in worship because if I can win the battle in worship, I'll have the strength of power in war. Worship will always lead to victory in war. But if you don't worship, you'll lose when you go out there. So let them know, Heavenly Father, that with the arrows of praise, with the instrument full of the arrows of our, our praise and worship, these pews are like arrows. Each one of you aim toward the direction of your life. I take the arrows of your life. I take the arrows of your calling. I take the arrows of our destiny. And I raise them above my head. And I say to God, we will not allow Buford Church of God to drift away from what we were called to do the devil's not going to overwhelm us we will praise God we will glorify God we'll cast out devils we'll let God move mountains by faith we'll lay hands on the sick we'll preach the gospel we'll lead the children we'll reach around the world we'll send out missionaries but we will not quit until God is finished with our church somebody give God praise in this place hallelujah Now, I want you to see your hand clap like arrows. I want you to see your voice like praise. I want you to praise God right now as if every answer prayer in your life depends on what you do right now. Come, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised from everlasting to everlasting. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I bless your life today. I bless you with the power to move mountains. I bless you with the faith to believe that the impossible is possible. I bless you with courage to walk on water. I bless you with beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I bless you right now. In the city, I bless you in the field. I bless you when you rise and when you lay down at night. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Be gracious to you. Make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Answer all your prayers. Heal you of all your diseases. Touch your bodies and touch your mind. I pray that he shows you how much he loves you and shows you how much we love you. That you won't feel alone anymore. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm on your face and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again. May God hold you in the hollow of his hand. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. We hope you enjoy Pastor Joey's word today. To find out more about our ministry, visit bcog.me. Our services are live streamed weekly on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. 
If you have any questions, you can talk to one of our pastors anytime via bcog.me messenger. See you again in the next podcast episode.